Welcome to Good God, conversations that matter about faith and public life. I'm your host, George Mason. And as we continue in our series on immigration, a human story, we're delighted to have someone who is actually working with real human beings uh, who are refugees here in Dallas, Texas, where we are actually recording at this time. Tess Clark is with us. She is the director of We Welcome Refugees, uh, a ministry uh, and service agency uh, here in, in Dallas. And Tess, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to be in any position where I get to share about the work that I've had the privilege of doing. So thank you. So we have this program called Good God, which is to say we're trying to make the connection between faith and work, right? And yeah. that's really true for you. Uh, this work of uh, welcoming strangers and caring for refugees and asylees, this is really uh, rooted in your own faith experience, although it isn't obviously true for everyone who came from your faith tradition. Tell, tell us a little bit about that background and how you got connected and how that has changed your faith a bit. That's such a good question. And I feel like, I think, how far do we want to go back? But I'll give you just a little, little bit about me. I think as a girl growing up, I just always had a heart for people who were marginalized. Like I just could never stand to see anyone hurting or anyone being treated differently or sitting alone at the lunch table or whatever it was. Like I was just moving towards the person that I felt like maybe didn't fit in or maybe wasn't being given a fair chance, you know, or always rooting for like an, an underdog story. Like those were all, always moved me. And so I always thought at some point I would do something missional. I would live in another culture and another context. And so um, I actually got the opportunity to live in China um, and I was engaged to my husband now, Jason at the time, and he was doing um, humanitarian work in China and I got to go out there. And um, I think just, it was like these moments where I was being transformed, right? I was being welcomed into a new culture in China. I was, people were holding my hand along the way in this very like confusing time for me of like navigating a new culture and food and shopping and all of this stuff. And I just had people like show me just kind of like really radical hospitality, right? And welcoming me into their homes and into their lives. And so I think that just made an impression on me. And so when my husband and I moved back to the States, we were looking to get connected with an international community. And someone told us, we were talking, hey, there's this whole community of refugees down the street from where you live. We were like, what? We don't even know much about refugees or their plight or their story, but we found ourselves in that community. We moved into that community and really wanted to just become like students, right? And like learn from the people who we were getting the kind of the privilege to walk with. And as we began like serving at an African church and getting involved with families, um, I think I just started to understand more about how like things that were happening socially and things that were happening politically were affecting like the actual lives of people who were who I was getting to know. And I think one of the most impactful stories um, that I'll share is that we were living in an apartment complex where we found out there was black mold and I was pregnant at the time. And um, I remember my husband and I going like, we have to leave, like we're breaking our lease. We're leaving the money on the table. We didn't have a lot of money at the time, but we, ha we had resources. We had family members we could stay with. We could do that. We could leave. And my neighbor two doors down from me was pregnant. And I remember my heart just breaking because she couldn't do the same thing. 
that I could do. She did not have, she was not in the same position. And I just, I felt like that wasn't right. And I wanted to know like, what could I do to like make greater change? It wasn't just about my family or one other family, but like across the spectrum, she should have the same access and the same rights to protect her unborn baby that I had. And she didn't, and there weren't laws in place to protect her. So I, I want to come back to your faith in just a few moments, but I think, I think you've just named something that we should really pursue just for a moment. And that is that what you identified is that your neighbor who was in the very same circumstances as you did not have all the same options as you had. Mm-hmm. And when I think we talk about immigration and refugees and asylees, we have certain assumptions about them and what's going on in their lives when they say, for example, that they are coming because they are fleeing persecution. They feel like their lives are in danger or they, uh, they have to leave. They don't have all the options to stay or to uh, go through all the processes legally that we would say they ought to. And then so we question, well, why didn't they or why wouldn't they? And it reminds me of the, the problem of domestic violence, where uh, right. you know a lot of times we, we only um, have a legal definition of domestic violence when someone is struck by a partner or is physically in danger. But there's all the emotional danger that happens with outrage and with violence around a person that creates this environment. And, and, and we don't ha- have a system to account for that. Yeah. And so w- w- what I'm, I suppose, getting at is the complexity of uh, these people's lives that we overly simplify at times, yeah. don't we? Definitely. I mean, I saw a quote and it said, advocacy at its core is an exercise in empathy. Uh, And I think so often for people like us who haven't, I know I have not lived a hard life. I've never had to run for my life. I've never been afraid of gangs taking my children. I've never been afraid of like, I couldn't feed my children and the next meal. Like I have to actually like practice visualizing that, putting myself in that position, what would that be like when I hear these stories? Like, what would I do? And like moving towards people in, in compassion, right? Like seeking to understand their plight and their story, because it's not something I've ever experienced. And I think so often that's the missing piece. And when I have conversations with people is that, well, why don't they just do that? Like there's an air sometimes of arrogance and like how they would address this person's situation. And I think, man, you haven't really taken the time to like put yourself in their position as much as you could just imagine the worst scenario that you, the the scenario that would make you in the middle of the night, pack up your children, leave everything behind your education. Maybe the only equity, maybe the only investment you have your home, put the things you can carry in a backpack and leave. I mean, there are stories of people in all of the years I've worked with refugees of women telling me I had to decide which children I would take. And I couldn't take the ones that I had to carry. Oh my goodness. It's, it's, it's unimaginable. Like it's gut wrenching. I have four kids. I have a baby that can't walk. Like I cannot imagine ever being in a position so dire that I would have to choose which of my children I would bring with me on a journey that I know is going to be horrific. Right. And so people only do that 
when they're desperate. And there's a poem by a Somali refugee named Morrison Shire. And she says, no one leaves home unless home is the mouth of a shark. And I think that's such, uh, it's just so true. And I, and I try to hold those words and, and remember those things because I can sometimes think I know the way they should have done it too. Right. Like, um, and I mean, just when it comes to my faith, I think I just grew up hearing about how radically Jesus loved people, you know, and, and that's been some of the stripping away for me of some of the religion I grew up with is because I've seen the same people who taught me that Jesus loved radically, not love radically. Um, yeah, in, in these last few years. And that's, and that's been hard and, and really tragic for me, honestly. It, it is hard because you grew up an evangelical Christian, a conservative Christian, and all the things that you grew up reading about Jesus and understanding about how to love people, the very same people, even in your own family, uh, yeah. who, uh, who have an equal love for Jesus and for God and for being faithful, nonetheless, have very different views about refugees. Um, they support limiting refugees uh, dramatically coming into this country and supported the policies of child separation uh, and uh, think more in terms of law and order uh, than whether a law is just or unjust, mm -hmm. uh, things of that nature. How do you account for the fact that we have the same faith generally, but we view something like this so very differently. I mean, that's such a, that's such a hard one because I don't, I can't see someone's heart, you know? And I think often what I found when I really began to dig deep with people in those times I've had that opportunity is that they're scared that there is a place where fear is driving. There's a narrative that they've been taught that they've bought into that they believe that we are in an us versus them situation instead of an us <laughs> and yes. us that we're actually like, we're, we're free when, when we're all free. And yes. so there's a fear, but when you can like start to address that and ask like deeper questions and seek to understand like what it is that is pushing against them, I've actually seen people change their minds. And I think that's been the most encouraging part of my work. Not everyone. I'll always tell people when you get into this, I'm like, let's just say, okay, here's a hundred percent of people. Maybe there's, you know, 20% with you, 20% who never will be don't waste your time. But what about the 60 in the middle who aren't being yeah. discipled, who aren't being asked hard questions, who are just seeing one news source who maybe haven't given much thought to this. We need those people to raise their voices so that we can get we can see change, right? We can see a refugee ceiling raised so more people can come and find flourishing. So we can see laws change that are harmful to our marginalized neighbors. And I think going back to the story of living in the apartment. So when we moved out, my husband and I began working with the apartment complex to get this mold mitigated. And we actually brought in some lawyers to work with us because for us, that was that was how we advocated for actual change. Right. And again, you still have that gap and that disparity that I could leave while everyone else had to wait for this to be fixed. Um, and, and that's not lost on me. But it does, um, seem, it does seem that to use um, <clears throat> Brian Stevenson's phrase, proximity to pain, hmm. you know, is is so important if you're going to begin to change your mind about something. Yeah. Here, here you are actually living 
in this environment and are knowing the stories and recognizing the lives of people around you. So many people, I think, have a hard time changing their mind because they have a hard time actually meeting people or putting themselves in position of relationship with refugees, with people who are, uh, are struggling. And you yourself had a, uh, an experience that when, when you went and saw child separation happening yourself uh, wow. at the border during uh, 2016, I believe it was, or 17, maybe. Uh, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, um, right after families were being separated um, and then President Trump signed an executive order again because of advocacy from people, I'd say, on all sides saying this is unacceptable, right? To end child separation, we still had a lot of children who had been separated from their families. We were still holding families in um, basically jail cells. Um, and so I had the opportunity to go in and see see what was happening. Um, we were told when we got there, we were not allowed to talk to any of the families. Um, we weren't, they didn't really want us to look at them. It was, it was one of the most odd experiences. Cause I'd been in refugee camps and there was always like a humanity we were sharing. Right. I'm like, I could sit down in a ref, in a tent of a refugee and they could still serve me something like their dignity was still there. Um, we could drink tea together and try to communicate, but walking through this, through the holding cells where we had these families, it was just like, they had been completely stripped of their humanity. It I've never been a part of anything like it. There were children in there, one years old, two years old, not moving, like sitting so still. And I just thought, what have they been through? What traumas have has this two-year-old experience that it's not, I was trying to make eye, eye contact with some of the kids. Like it's not doing that back. I have children, like they don't sit still. <laughs> um but we did have the opportunity at one point to meet with some men and women who were there. Um, and we were told like we could talk to them for 10 or 15 minutes. And so I got to talk to a woman um, and I just asked if she was open to sharing her story and how she ended up um, in Ursuline and the detention center where she was. And she said she um, came to the U S she was undocumented. She was young. She was a teenager when she came um, she ended up getting married and having kids. She was from Guatemala and um, their ice had been like, just kind of routinely raiding the community where she lived. And so she was home one day um, ice came in and she didn't have the right documentation. They arrested her. Her daughters witnessed what happened. She was deported back to Guatemala. I mean, she's telling the story with, so uh, as you can imagine, like so much emotion. Um, and she said, and I, I had to get back to my daughters, even if I didn't make it across the border, like I had, they had to know I came for them. And she was saying how she would talk to her girls on the phone, her daughter, who I believe was nine at the time, or maybe 11 tried to commit suicide after all of this happened. And so she just said, I had to, I had to get back. She had to know, like she was worth me coming back for, and so she began the trek from Guatemala to the United States again to get back to her family and was um, picked up at the border. And, and that's why she was in Ursuline. And um, I mean, just what we wouldn't do, right, to be with our kids. And I remember just being so compelled at that time to like hold her, grab her face, which I wouldn't recommend, but I just felt like moved by the Holy Spirit. You know, we always want to ask someone, can I grab your face? Um, but and just to tell her she was a really good mom. Nice. Like you were, you're a really good mom. And 
I'll just get emotional thinking about it. Um, and we just cried together. And then I got kicked out because I touched her and I was told I couldn't touch anyone. Um, but I think too, like, sometimes I wonder if people don't enter into these hard situations because they don't think they're going to have the answers and they can't fix it and they can't change it. And I think that story for me was such a, it was a gift. It was a hard story to hear and to still know she exists in that space. And I couldn't do anything about it, but I got to be with her. And did I get to remove some aloneness in that moment? Like, just like Jesus does with us, like so often he doesn't fix my problems. Right. But I feel less alone, like when I come to him and when I share in my community what's happening, like no one can necessarily change my circumstance. But can I like feel loved and cared for? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And isn't that what God's asked us to do? He's like, hey, enter in to the radical brokenness around you. Come mm-hmm. alongside people, immerse in their story, listen longer than feels comfortable. Like Jesus left heaven, like the most perfect place and entered into the radical center of our broken world and contended for us and came alongside us as human beings and showed us a better way to live. And I think he's asked us to to do the same thing. And then if you look at Isaiah 43, he's like, hey, and when you do these things, you will be blessed. Your light will break forth like the dawn. Like Hey, if you come alongside people, work towards bringing justice to the earth, like I'm going to bless you, like I'm going to do it. And then you're going to also be fulfilled. And I don't know, it's just mind blowing when I think about the fact that we get to partner with, with Jesus and what he's already doing. He was already in the Ursuline detention center. He's already at the border. He's already in the refugee camps. But we get to go meet him there, too. And in as much as you've done it unto one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you've done it unto me, Jesus said. So we, we have a phenomenon about refugees that we seem to make differences in our mind to decide that some of them are worthy of our care and others not so much, right? And uh, you, were, you and I were talking before we started this podcast about the phenomenon that's taken place with resettling Afghan refugees mm. uh, after the U.S. has decided to pull out our, our military forces. But we went into Afghanistan and uh, we uh, have been present there as a nation and at war against um, uh, the, the Taliban until we finally made the decision to come out. And so part of it was a a sense of moral obligation on the part of our nation to to resettle those who were going to be persecuted if left behind because of their relationship to us. Now, you had, you told me, a, a whole lot of your more conservative evangelical friends who were desperately interested in helping with Afghan refugees Maybe not so much with those at the southern border. Mm. Um, and then you, you told me that we, you have a lot of more progressive Christian friends who were passionate about the southern border, but not so much rushing to help Afghan refugees, because probably they didn't like that war to begin with. Yeah. And um, they, they didn't feel the moral compunction as much. Uh, can you make sense of that in your mind in terms of how we carve up the good refugees and the bad when their life stories are just their life stories. Huh? You know, I've, I've gone back to this a lot and I think so often and so much of it. And if I dig down deep again, and when I'm talking to people, it's about 
what people think right versus wrong. And there's something I think in that evangelical culture and the way that we've been raised, like with the sin kind of part of it. Like I always hear this part about legalities and yeah, what you deem right. Well, Afghan, the Afghan people helped us in our war. Like they're the good refugees where these people are storming our Southern border and taking our jobs and taking our resources. Mm -hmm. And it's like, we've gotten these narratives that have been painted when like what you're saying, like, these are just people in need. They are, they're in need for different reasons. And I actually, in the work that I do, um, like on a national scale, I get to do some advocacy is really trying to, to kind of draw that, um, that similarity for people like to see like, Hey, gangs in, um, the Northern triangle are like, the Taliban in Afghanistan and really everyone's running from their own version of the Taliban. Nice. And like, we have a lot of compassion for people because we saw, and I think seeing the visual too in Afghanistan, like we saw what they were running from. We saw the Taliban invading. We saw people hanging on airplanes. It was like the desperation was so like poignant at the moment where we don't see those things when people are coming from Central America and South America. And it's just, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around. And so there's been, again, it's, it's a lot of, it's about what are we reading? What do you know, what news sources are we listening to? Because there is a narrative that's being pushed for us that a lot of times we just, we internalize as truth and we don't kind of dig a little bit deeper um, and I think that's true of, on both sides in a way. I, I, uh, I'm, 100%. I don't, I don't typically, you know, do the both sider sort of <laughs> thing, but I, I do think that, you know, we, we have a kind of innate loyalty to a political uh, position mm-hmm. and we want to advance that with our faith, even though in theory, we want to say our faith comes first. Our faith is what drives us. Right. But, but I would say a, a, a whole lot of, uh, of what actually happens is that we, you know, we want our faith to support the political narrative that we're committed to. And, you know, to, to some extent, it's what, what, how we think about the nation that we live in, yeah. the country we live in. Uh, I, I, I was listening to you talk to your, your dad on the, uh, the Daily podcast, the New York Times Daily, a couple of years ago. And uh, and he made an interesting point. He said, you know, you you were trying to challenge him about doesn't our faith, you know, sort of say that we should welcome the stranger and all of that. And 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 he was saying, yeah, but if how many can we take if we keep doing this, we're not going to have a country. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a certain real politic about that. But I also think, but it, isn't our faith supposed to come first, right? And isn't it supposed to be the kingdom of God, not the United States of America and the border that drives our reasoning? Yeah. And uh, and, and yet those of a more progressive faith, you know, might not be willing to acknowledge that, you know, we can't we can't process everyone. Uh, there, there, there are limits to what we can do. And setting reasonable goals about that is not an unwise thing. Right. I I definitely agree with you. And I think this space that I'm in, we're really trying to bridge some of that gap. You know, I think even it's been interesting. I've been kind of thinking about this a lot after everything was happening in Afghanistan and the people who were reaching out to me and the people I weren't, 
I wasn't hearing from. And I thought, you know, I wonder too, if kind of that, that political position sometimes is like the democratic position is often like the government's taking care of it. We're paying taxes and the government is now taking care of resettling these refugees and they're doing this. Whereas maybe the more Republican stance would be like, Hey, small government, people should be doing it. And especially if you're a Christian, like the church should be doing it. And I saw some of that action and momentum. And I really think, man, isn't there a world where we can exist with both, right? And I've been to the border several times and we always visit with border patrol when we take a trip down because that's important. That's an important part of the perspective. A lot of these people got into this work to catch the bad guys. Like they're like, I don't want to catch a mama and her baby either. Like I want to catch the drug smuggler, you know, and you hear their story and it humanizes them. But one of the things they're saying is, hey, we don't need a huge border wall. We need faster computers. We need more immigration judges. We need social workers. Like if we're going to spend money, spend it on the things that help us actually do our job and process people in a more humane way. Like I'm not a trained social worker. I shouldn't be having to decide if someone has an asylum claim. I'm not a lawyer, you know, but those are the things that they were being asked to do. And you've got some, you know, you've always got good guys and bad guys in, in all of these places. And I'm sure some people who were happy to say no stamp and turn around and other people who were really moved towards compassion toward with people. And so, you know, a lot of this kind of bipartisan work that I'm trying to do and bring like people to, to raise their voices, like whether you're on the left or the right, like call your senators, call your congressmen. You're a person of faith first. Tell them what you care about. Hi, Ted Cruz. I'm a Republican. I voted for you. And I don't like the way people are being treated at the border because I care about their humanity and dignity. And I believe they were made in the image of God. And if you want my vote again, I'd love to see you do something different. You know, like we need people on every side, right. wherever they land politically and, to and like you actually. You actually have success, a success story to tell about that kind of calling project and advocacy and that everybody's voice doesn't say the same thing. Right. It's based on, you know, what their story is. But um, but I know that you were deeply disturbed when President Biden had promised that he would raise uh, the 15,000 refugee cap uh, to 125. And in the early months of his presidency, uh, kept it at 15,000. And uh, that was um, deeply disappointing to you. And so you became part of of this advocacy effort to uh, change his mind and help him to uh, hold him to keeping his word. And so tell a little bit more about that, because we actually now are at 125,000. Yes, which is so great. Um, We ran a campaign called Keep Your Promise, and we just asked the president to keep his word. We said, you campaigned on this. There's a lot of people who are waiting on this. There's a lot of agencies who resettle refugees who are in limbo. Like, can we stay open? They were really waiting on you to come into office and send some funding their way. And so we just rallied a whole bunch of people. We opened a phone line for people to leave voicemails for President Biden, which was really incredible to get to listen to those messages of people calling in and letting him know why they wanted him to to raise the refugee ceiling. And I would say people had all different reasons, but a common theme was they were compelled by their faith. And also um, they had had a relationship with a refugee in the past. And it was some kind of transformative time in their life or they were still in a relationship with them now. And they just know what like a richness 
these people bring to their communities. And they wanted us to open our doors to more of them. Like most of the refugees I know know more about America than I know. Like they are thankful to be here. They mourn leaving their country. They wish they could go back under another circumstance, but they are here to make their the best life they can here and to make the life, you know, for their children and then for the people around them. Like they are just some of the most generous, um, like people that, that I've ever known in my whole life. Well, so I, I think we should say that We Welcome Refugees works in a direct way uh, with people and charitably and seeks to uh, address the actual needs that they have on the one hand, but then also in, in terms of moving along the spectrum toward, you know, how to help them, you know, be, become stable and uh, to, to, to be here on a legal basis. And, and then all the way to this matter of influencing policy and, uh, and, and becoming involved as a, as a political activist. That's mm-hmm. scary to a lot of people of faith uh, in um, a way. The, the charity part and the personal part, they'll go out of their way and, you know, buy things and clothes and furniture and, you know, help uh, make all the connections necessary to uh, to do something charitable. But but calling your sen- senator, uh, mm-hmm. taking a political position, uh, trying to change policy, uh, it, it, it feels like you're wandering uh, out of your lane if, if you're a certain kind of person of faith, right? Yeah. But on the other hand, uh, sometimes that doesn't even take as much work as the charity part. But but why leave that to uh, just the forces uh, uh, that that would not agree with your faith position? There's some kind of convoluted messaging that's happened in the evangelical church that said social justice is not the gospel. Right. And there's a quote, and I'm going to have to come back and tell you who said it, but I think it was Micah Bournes. They said like, how can I love my neighbor while accepting systems that crush them? Yes. How can I love my neighbor and accept less for them than I accept for myself? And isn't that like, isn't Jesus good news for the poor and the marginalized? Isn't that what he came to do is like break the chains of oppression. So if I'm okay with you being over here oppressed while I'm flourishing, like, I don't know how I'm living out my faith. Like to me, it goes hand in hand. And I also have so much grace for people who don't see that and understand that. Cause I also was that person. I mean, I was doing some local things like calling an apartment complex saying, hey, you've got black mold. But was I politically active until 2016? I wasn't. And I had been working with refugees since 2008. And sometimes I'm embarrassed to tell that story a little bit. And I think I talked about that on the New York Times podcast because I really want people to to understand like that this is, you know, it can be, it can be a process. It's just, it's seeing that connection. But for me, when president Trump instituted the travel ban, which also became known as the Muslim ban, I was like, hold on. Mm -hmm. These are people that I love that he, you know, coming from countries where I know a lot of people from there, these are not dangerous people. My husband and I were going on a date. I remember so distinctly because we, we heard it on the radio he like makes a U-turn, goes home, puts a suit on and yeah. we drive to the airport. And so he looked very important. People kept interviewing him. Um, like, are you a lawyer? Are you, you know, what are you doing here? Um, but we were just like, oh my gosh. Like we, we saw, we started to see the connection like there. I mean, 
an executive order comes down and literally people were stuck mm-hmm. on the other side of the airport. Husbands and wives were separated right. the entire time President Trump was in office who had already gotten their papers to come and be together. Like, would you accept that for your family? Like, wouldn't you want someone who had a stake in the politics in that country to advocate for you? I mean, these people can't vote. They can't call the senators. They're not constituents yet. They don't have green cards, you know, but we do like we hold so much power and something that I've been taught and began to see over and over again is like, Hey, my representatives work for me. Uh, Like it's not scary. It's not scary when you start to think about it like that, but somehow we've been, well, one from the church standpoint, like, you shouldn't do social justice, just buy the things, give the goods, bring the meals, which are all great things. And we're meeting felt needs, but don't get involved in politics because that's not where Jesus would want you. Where I'm like, I think it's a both end. Like right. for me, right. it is. <laughs> well, and I think anyone who wants to get involved uh, in, in the Dallas area uh, with this should contact you. And uh, I think uh, if, um, if your spirit is any indication and it's contagious, uh, we're going to make progress in all of this, Tess. So thank you yes, so much cool. for watching. We okay. choose welcome.com and I'll send okay. that to you because we're doing so much work on the immigration front as well as with refugees. We really wanted a more encompassing name. So we're we welcome right. and we're we choose welcome.com. So people can find us there. We choose welcome.com. Yes. Tess Clark, thank you so much for being on Good God and for all that you are doing. God bless you. Thank you, George. Good God is created by Dr. George Mason, produced and directed by Jim White. Social media coordination by Cameron Vickery. Good God, Conversations with George Mason is the podcast devoted to bringing you ideas about God and faith and the common good. All material copyright 2021 by Faith Commons.